I'm so excited to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. And I'm Ezra, and you're listening to Honor to be Nominated, a podcast discussing each and every film ever nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, today we're discussing the 2010 film Black Swan. Um, before we continue, I do want to offer uh, a trigger warning um, that hopefully, if we remember, we'll put in the episode description. Um, but it's very difficult to talk about this film without getting into discussions of eating disorders and self-harm. So a uh, trigger warning for both of those things. And we'll try and mention it before we bring it up. I mean, what's it all about? Um, but Black Swan, for those of you who um, haven't seen it, is a Academy Award-winning film about a, a dancer played by Natalie Portman who, in sort of her quest to become perfect, uh, loses her mind and crazy shit ensues, I suppose. Um, got not, got a bunch of nominations, one for Natalie Portman um, and is famously my favorite film. Uh, half we are of, doing this film in honor of our first honor to be nominated birthday. Ezra yeah, celebrated their yeah. 26th birthday yesterday when we're recording Tuesday when you're listening to this. So happy birthday, Ezra. Show them some love on our so social media and everything. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, but we're all old now. This is a, a really fascinating film that I could and have talked about for hours on end. Um, for those of you who have not met me in person... Congratulations. And second, uh, a good portion of my right arm is covered in a tattoo of Black Swan. Um, it's a very important film to me that I haven't revisited in a couple of years. So it's going to be an interesting uh, discussion. But let's start off with uh, Claudia. I know that you are a dancer and um, I'm sure I have thoughts about this dance flick. Yeah. Um, so yes, I am a dancer. I am not a ballerina though. I'm far from classically trained. And that is like a whole nother world that is just, you know, unless you're really in it, I feel like you don't really know about it. However, you were never I think, trained in point at all. I mean, I've, I've done point, but taking a point class and taking ballet classes at a studio is very different than <laughs> being someone who wants to be a professional ballerina. Yeah, right. Than working in, in Lincoln like center as a ballerina. Yeah. Yeah. So very different. Um, I remember watching this film when it first came out and being very like, like shook by it. It's yeah. just, it's so, it's so uh, visceral, I guess, like the, the, the skin stuff and like, yeah, I guess T TMI, like I, I pick up my skin. So like that, was like really, really rough for me to watch. I remember the first time and it, it wasn't even, it wasn't easier the second time, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but no, I really do love this film. I think it's done really well. My only like, like my only thing with it that just kind of rubs me the wrong way is casting a non-dancer in a lead role like that, it, that has to do that much dancing. And when it's, focused around the the ballet career and the ballet world to cast someone that's not ballet trained. I'm just like, uh, what are we doing? But then you think about it, if you were to cast like the principal ballerina of ABT or the Royal Ballet Company, whatever dance company at the time in this role, sure, they would dance it better and you would get more of the 
the full body dance sequences, but they certainly couldn't act it the way that Natalie Portman does. (laughs) So it's really like, it's a fine line for me. I forgive this film a lot because Natalie Portman is so incredible in it. Mm -hmm. But as a dancer, I just, I'm like, can we pan out so we can see her legs? Oh wait, we don't want to see her legs because they're probably not technically correct. Well, I think that's the tough thing about this film is like it's about a ballerina, but I don't know if like the dance is the most important element of the movie, right? Like I right. think you have to like the acting forward is the most important part because it's a very, very hard part to act. Yeah. You know? Right. Like no ballerina because that's not a thing. Like when yeah, you're a ballerina, yeah. like you're only doing LA. Like there's no time for acting classes. I'm like, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with my partner who is, you know, I, I had this conversation with him and he was like, well, why would, no, you, you couldn't dance, cast a, or no, you, he, he was saying like, well, then you just got to put the ballerinas in acting classes once a week. And I was like, there's no time for that. I'm sorry. There's just zero time for that. Like that's <laughs> well, not their life. Yeah. And then you're expecting, like, if you're making this movie, you're expecting to put a ballerina in acting training for like what, three months before you start shooting. You're just not going to be as good of an actor actor as Natalie Portman. It's just not going to happen. No, not even a little bit. Um, All right. Yeah, no, I think, I think, Claudia, you're right. And I think that, like, the issue, the challenge of the film, right, is that it is a film largely made by and starring non-dancers that is trying to use dance as a metaphor. But in order to use dance as a metaphor has to compromise on that dance in an interesting way, if that makes any sense. And so the contradiction is that it's all about how much these people are striving to be perfect, but by virtue of like the way movies are made, it can't be perfect because you, as you said, like you, there's no ballerina in the world who could act this part probably. Right. And dance it. And so then you have to compromise one. And so it does feel, especially rewatching it this morning in the dancings, definitely you're like, I wish that we could have in some way found a way to make this more visceral and make this more exciting because it feels like dance lives as a metaphor versus physicalizing it in the way that I think the film should. Um, that being said, I do think Natalie Portman gives perhaps the greatest performance ever captured on screen. And so like, that is like the problem, right? I think she's so incredibly good in this really complex woman of a type that I don't think we've seen women like that on screen kind of ever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think there are a lot of like tortured artist narratives of like, look at this artist and they want to be the best so badly. So they destroy themselves. And I've watched all of them. But (laughs) um, I think it's, it's interesting by casting a woman in there and by casting a queer woman in there, it really, I think changes what the film is about in an interesting way. And I think it engages with typically, I think in these stories, it's like this person wants to be the best. And so we know they want to be the best because typically these brilliant men treat the women in their life like shit. And that's how we know they're tortured versus this is much more interesting to me. I think, cause it's this person wants to be the best. So she's treating herself like shit in an interesting way that I think really engages with the sort of self-destruction and self-loathing that I think a lot of, people period deal with and especially a lot of people who are driven artistically in the way that Natalie Portman's character in this is driven artistically deal with in a way that feels really specific and intentional and I think um responsible 
in a way that I was very worried revisiting this movie that it would feel irresponsible, and I don't think it does. You revisited it, and? And what? Well, how do you, well, you were worried that you weren't going to like it on, like, on, on no, reviewing No, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's incredible. Like, I mean, I think it is like... It definitely holds up. It definitely yeah. holds up. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, but I was debating about myself up until this record about how deep I... Because this is a very personal film to me because it hit... I saw it for the first time when I was 17 and it really hit me uh, in a place. Um, I was, you know, struggling with a lot of shit, um, including my sexuality and an eating disorder. And so this really sort of hit me where I lived. Um... And I think it was interesting for me emotionally revisiting it. Cause when I first saw it, I, I connected so much with Natalie Portman's character. And then this time, weirdly, I connected a lot with Mila Kunis's character. Yeah. And I, I was like, Oh, this is my energy now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like, Oh, yeah, I want to do, I want to do E in this, uh, in this uh, <laughs> bar with these strangers. Very quickly, I do just want to talk about sort of the logistics of how some of the dancing yeah, worked out. Um, so, you know, one of the things about this film is everyone was like, oh, Natalie Portman did like all the dancing or like so much of the dancing. She did all the dancing. And it was like, that was like the big thing. And I don't know if she danced like when she was younger, but you could, she obviously has a very like dancer physique. Um, I know that she went on like a crazy diet for this role and like, you know, trained extensively with all the different things, but you know, for some of the things that she did have a dance double, um, and it was the, um, an ABT ballerina American ballet theater in the city, uh, based out of Lincoln center where I think, you know, this company is supposed to be ABT without saying it. Um, named Sarah Lane, and I want to put some respect on her name because Absolutely. it appears that in the past there wasn't a <laughs> lot of respect on her name. Um, so you can Google Sarah Lane, and pretty much the only thing that comes up for her is this Wikipedia article that I got all this information on, and I highly suggest that you go read it for some more information. But basically what happened is that there were clips in which Sarah Lane was dancing and they use visual effects and editing to put Natalie Portman's face on top. And then it's a little, I don't know, it was, I read it very fast, but it was taken down like very close to the Oscars in 2011, I guess. Um, the video was like removed, you couldn't find it. And so basically it was like Sarah Lane was kind of like erased from the production and erased from the film. Hmm. And she also apparently wasn't credited properly in the credits. She was credited as, quote, lady in the lane and stunts, where she really should have been credited as like Natalie Portman's dance double. Like she was basically right underneath. Um, and then allegedly Natalie Portman did not thank her or even reference her in her acceptance speech when she did win the Oscar it's unclear if that was an accident just because she was caught up in the moment or if that was like a publicity thing where it's like, hush, hush, she doesn't exist. Um, and then in the article, it says like, Natalie did a lot of the dancing. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because like we just said, it's, it is a dance film, but it's also not a dance film. So how much do you like, how, like how much credit do you give each yeah. woman? I guess. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Just thought that was like kind of an interesting fact. And yeah. And I think again, I go back to like, if Natalie Portman did most of the dancing, you can tell because 90% of the cuts are from her waist up where I'll argue in ballet. What I want to see is the legs and the feet, but that's just me. No. And I think the totally. thing is you're, you're really, you're really right. in like the way they treated this dance double was shitty. And I think it's also an interesting thing that I don't fully understand, but is very much of this era of the Oscars that we're kind of, I think, exiting where like the only way you could win an Oscar is if it was like, look at all the crazy shit they did. And so it's like really peculiar because I think Natalie Portman would have still won the Academy Award if they had just been like honest to be like, yeah, she had a dance double because she's Natalie Portman and is not a trained ballerina. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Like, yeah. I don't expect, yeah. I don't expect Natalie Portman to be a American ballet level dancer. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it is this yeah. interesting thing where they, they did that a lot, right? Where it's like, yeah, this is all the crazy shit they, they did for this role and that like methody bullshit. And it's like, I, I don't know if we need that. And I don't know if it makes the performance better that she actually danced it or not. You know what I mean? And like, the 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 one time where I was like, oh, that's Natalie Portman. I can tell because her feet were sickled. And if you're a dancer, you know what that means. And it's ugly. I'll say that. Hmm. Yeah, this was the height of that. This was because you know, 2010 is the height of that like method acting phase. Mm-hmm. Like everyone was obsessed with. Oh, they went on a drug bender to get into the role. It's like okay, all right. Was that what's that um, quote that uh was it Sir Sir Lawrence Olivier says to Dustin Hoffman after Dustin Hoffman's like spent three days not sleeping uh, to get into this role and then Sir Lawrence Olivier just comes out of his trailer freshly showered and is just like why don't you just act? Yeah, I believe it's 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 I believe it's my boy. Why don't you just try acting? Yeah. My boy, why don't you just try acting? Um, but now speaking of drugs, I do want to sort of discuss. I think. The, this really incredible set piece in the middle, um, which is the when Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman roll on Molly. Um, yes. This scene really worked for me uh, when I was a teenager, and it still really works for me. Um, and I think it's a really, you know, I think like what's so interesting about this film to me is that it is in some ways really like big and takes a like experimental and crazy, but then also has these really small moments of humanity um and so like i saw i see a lot of that in like the molly scene and like the way she's kind of awkwardly flirting with a guy who's not interested in in her at all but is like playing along being interested it's like that way of like when you're really passionate about something you know the other person doesn't give a fuck but like by virtue of them asking you you want to tell them about like this art that you care so much about and then also yeah, and then like the I, I really shouldn't do this drug, but it seems cool and crazy and I'm with a really hot girl who's trying to like maybe seduce me, maybe not, who's to say? And like I think that scene really is enough to earn this picture this uh, film its best picture nomination, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. No, that scene is great. Fantastic. And then the whole aftermath when they come home. Uh, it's like my favorite scene of the whole movie. I wonder why. For anyway. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mom is uh, psycho. Or is she? Natalie Portman's mother? The overbearing, overprotective, like, kind of crazy mom? Yeah. No, kind of crazy? Hella crazy. She's definitely crazy. Every dance mom ever is this mom. Be careful. Michelle Stein does listen. Mom, you aren't like this. 
not not at all. But uh, other dance moms. <laughs> no, totally. I, I think, but I also think again. I remembered her as like such a fucking monster, and then watching it again, I'm like, oh, she's a monster. But there's more. There's more shades in that yeah. performance than I think lesser a lesser actor and a lesser director would have gotten out of it. It would have just been like, you know, fucking Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, is, when I is remember, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest just going to be like the staple uh, movie for our podcast? Why is that brought up in every other episode? Um, I think it is one of the worst Oscar award winning films we, we've ever covered. That's I my hot that's take. That's a little absurd. We, we've, we've covered Bohemian Rhapsody. How dare you? I said one of. Uh-huh. Um, no, what I, I feel like I understood where the mom was coming from a lot more when I watched it this time. Same. I remember last time, same as you, Ezra, just being like, this mom is crazy. Why is she doing this? Blah, blah, blah. But now like, and it's not that she's trying to suppress her daughter. I think she, I genuinely think the woman is doing what she thinks is best for someone that also sort of went through what, she, I mean, she's trying to protect her. Like yeah. what I, I didn't remember is that the mom was a former dancer as well. And that line, I'm the, I'm the, the, the black, I'm the black swan or I'm the, the, I'm the, the swan, swan queen. I'm the swan you never queen. got out of the core. And I was like, woo, that like hit hard because that's every dancer's dream is to yeah. get out of the core. And she did it. And now the mom was trying to hold her back and like, no, like, I don't care if I'm like rolling or, you know, hit my head last night. I need to dance this role. Like, this is my, this is my one chance. Yeah. But yeah. then also, like, totally. But then also I was so, is that like, when you have a kid who's clearly fucked up, but is not like at the place where she can admit that she's fucked up. It's this interesting because I have a lot of like, I keep like the cake scene is one of the scenes that like is real tough for me for like 800 reasons. Oh yeah. Um, But like watching it again, I was like, so this mom's nuts, but also like (laughs) she knows her daughter has an eating disorder. Like you can't not know, but also the woman's fucking grown. You can't make her eat. You know what I mean? And it's like, this interesting situation of I understand why she would react this way because she feels so powerless in the same way that like your daughter the night before her fucking opening as the lead in the, in Swan Lake goes out does Molly comes back says she had a threesome fucking hits her head and then goes to bed I, I may be like you need to take tomorrow off you're not doing so great you know what I mean yeah it's like the mom had the right intentions but just the wrong the way wrong execution yeah yeah i mean she does get her poor hand smashed in the door by her daughter which is not great rough yeah rough and she's an artist so i'm sure those hands are very valuable to herself i also forgot about all the art paintings coming to life and that freaked me out this time this movie is disturbing uh, disturbing and we need to talk Ezra because you said this movie you find this movie very soothing because it's yeah. a very disturbing basically horror film that gives you any idea of the type of person Ezra yeah. is yeah this movie no, I- makes you need to drink a half bottle of like whiskey <laughs> and and smoke a pack of cigarettes because this movie is disturbingly a lot a horror film about mental illness and art and eating disorders and 
the need to be perfect. But you find this movie soothing. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. I guess it like does. It makes, it's, I don't find it soothing, but like it, all of it makes sense to me. I guess like for me... On a deep, deep level. And again, you know, this is not a movie that I throw on on the daily now for because I, I am very fortunate to have largely moved past the bullshit that I had when I was 17. But I think that when I was 17, I was losing my mind. And it was going through a lot of similar things to what Natalie Portman's characters do going through in this film. And so watching it was really revelatory because I was like, oh, other people feel this way. Validating. And I'm not yeah. alone. Yeah. And like, you know, when I say that's the way the world worked to me, I did not mean that I am like hallucinating having sex with women and then murdering them. Like that was not a thing that was happening to me, but like that very much like I'm going to destroy myself because that's the only way to achieve perfection, which is the only way I will ever have value to the people I care about. Uh, really sort of like, you know, I don't want to be overdramatic about it, but my sort of day-to-day life felt like a horror film. And so watching it reflected was very much like, oh shit, like other people get me in a way that I, I, I don't, again, I want to assure the listeners that I don't feel that way now, but like was very... You know, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that I have it on my arm is that it's about, I think, both the stride for that, but then also cautioning the viewer that that's where this ends. And so that's why I think, like, the last quarter of the film, when it goes fully into, like, pictures are coming alive and fucking the wings are growing out of her and shit, it's like, okay, so, like, it goes from being, like, relatively realistic of this is the sort of way that people drive themselves and they destroy themselves and they make bad choices to, yeah, you're going to kill yourself. Like, where this ends is you die. And forcing you to go to that place, I think, is a really interesting cautionary tale to the ambition and the drive that I think so often we're kind of taught is a good thing. Um, especially in art training programs, but that's for another podcast. Oof. <laughs> that's a whole a whole another hour. Well, but that's what makes the that's what makes the end so powerful. And the like yeah. the last line of the screenplay is it, it was perfect. Yep. Mm. I was perfect. Uh, can we can we kind of talk about my, my man Vincent Cassell? Who, who just is that? he plays the dance teacher. Oh. Yeah. And anytime there was a movie from the year 2000 to 2012 in America that has a vaguely menacing European, it is him, no matter the nationality. He is also the master thief in Oceans 12. He is a oh. Russian oh, minister yeah. in Eastern Provinces. He's in everything, and he's always a different nationality. Is he, is he, is he British? I believe he's, he's French. French. Is he American? I believe he's, he's French. French. Oh, interesting. He's honestly not the strongest for me. Interesting. I mean, he's great. He's not Natalie Portman or or Mila Kunis. But I think he's fantastic. Uh, I don't know. I just... Something about his performance... Or maybe not the performance. Maybe it's the writing of the character. I don't know. It's just like... I feel like it didn't quite go as far as it could... Which is interesting because in all other aspects of this movie, it goes as far as it can. You, and like, you, you think you want him to be a little bit more Preston Lane? Yeah, a little bit, honestly. Well, and I think this is the interest of like not not to get like this could be a, the whole podcast in itself, but like there's a whole 
section of the internet dedicated to try and solving this film and figuring out which parts of it are real and which parts of it are not, which I think is kind mm. of a fool errand because if the director wanted us to know what was real and what was not, he would have told us and he didn't. And so it's really up to interpretation. But I think that is, I think the, the, the Vincent Cassell uh, choreograph choreographer character and then the mother are the two sort of ones who I think are most in the what is real, what is not. And so I think like a lot of people don't necessarily think that the initial sexual assault happens. Um, oh, really? That, um, or that, or, and like, or that a lot of people believe like the initial sexual assault happens and then everything after is imaginary and that she actually never gets the role. And the whole thing is, a. Uh, and so I think it's interesting that like, is he actually coming on to her? Or is that just her own repressed sexuality or, or is he like actually a predator, but she's interpreting it as romantic. And it's like this, these yeah. really interesting questions that I think he is given a really tough role to play of that he has to be able to play all the different facets of that thing. And so depending on how you view it, you can view it as, oh, this is about a Preston Lane, Harvey Weinstein-esque figure who is sexually abusing his dancers because he's an all-powerful man in the arts, which is very true. Or maybe it's somebody who is like aloof and, and thinks she's frigid and she's imagining that he can get her to open up by having sex with her and unlocking her sort of repressed sexuality um a lot of people also think that she's being sexually abused by her mother um yeah, that makes sense is because in the scene in the sex scene there is a shot where it appears to be one the other the actress who plays the mother huh um, mm. yeah 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 like it just it like who there's like a flash eating, yeah it's like it flashes so fast that sometimes it's mila kunis sometimes it's natalie portman like fucking herself and like I, I think I thought I was crazy, Ezra, but thank yeah. you for validating 100%. that, that like flashes by that, like it's the mom. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Huh. But Which isn't that also... sort of the, but I'm, I mean, isn't that sort of the, the point of the, the film is you're not really supposed to know what yeah. is real and what's not like it should totally. feel, you should feel as the audience as Natalie Portman does. Totally. You yes. should feel just as distrustworthy of every single character as she does. I think what I, going back to what I was saying, how like, the choreographer character just didn't like it just I mean close but like just for me like I wanted that extra step um like you said and like we have been saying these people exist in every field um but like so much in the arts and like so much in in dance that I wanted him to be more predatory to everyone I feel like he was just with, like, he was just honing in on the two, the two leads, where I think it would be, I don't know if it would be more powerful or just more realistic if he was just kind of like that asshole to everyone, to all of his company members, and all of them just take it because they don't, they want a job. And you're, as a dancer, your career is mm -hmm. very short. And so yeah. why, like, the whole mentality is, don't fuck this up because then your career is over and that's so fucked up because his career should be over. Uh, so I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get that. And I think that's what I was missing. See, I kind of yeah, disagree. I, I think if he's a uh, very obviously and blatantly an ass to everyone in the, in the, um, in the troupe, I think that undermines what Natalie Portman's going through. Because I think the the, sure. the movie works because it's all focused on her, and so it, it yeah. feels like as if the world is is 
piling on top of her and crowding around her. So I think if she has, if we see her have that justification of like, oh, this guy is a predatory to everyone, then she feels less alone. Fair, fair, fair. That's why I said, I'm not sure if it's more powerful or more realistic. See, actually, Chandler, I I think it also works. I also like the level that he's at. But to me, it's actually the other way is that I think from like the first time we see him and then all the, the, the women take off their like, shawls and things and it's like i think what you immediately get from that moment is this man is all powerful and sometimes you get the nice version of him and sometimes you get the screaming version of him and sometimes you get the predatory version of him and so i kind of i liked how he was because he wasn't like i think a lot of lesser actors would have played this as like ultra like predatory in a way that i think that he just plays it as i have all this power and i enjoy using it and sometimes i'm going to use that to make you feel really good sometimes i'm going to make use that to make you feel really bad sometimes i'm going to use that to you know abuse you in a way that that actually read is really realistic to me, but obviously I'm not in the dance world and I'm not uh, a woman. So I don't No, I, I totally say, agree. <laughs> I will say logistically when all the dancers take off their like shawls and stuff, that's just like a, like it's, it's a, it's a common phrase in, in dance and especially ballet, take off your junk, take off the extra clothes because then you can't see the body as much. Gotcha, if it's gotcha. just the leotard and tights, then you can see all the lines, you can yeah. see all the muscles. When you have like other shit on, it's it's hard. Um, and especially when you know the artistic director of the company walks in, you you take off your junk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I don't know that. Um, speaking of of actors, Mila Kunis was not nominated because why? We just we just we hate, hate women. People? Like what? Why would you say women? Well, so actually, so I was a looking, fantastic performance. So I was looking actually at the Oscars, and I do think, and we'll, we'll get into this when, when we get into *Shirt of One*. I would argue this is the best year for the Oscars in the twenty-first century. Um, and I oh, think, there, yeah. like, I was just looking at the best supporting actress list, and like, I don't know who you cut. Uh, mm, rough. I mean, like, I know who I would cut, but like. You know, like there is no bad performance in there. You know what I mean? I think well, Mila Kunis just... is. In... You what? could just add someone. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can. There's a certain amount it's... every no. year. No, ha- there can only be five. That's not There's true. A certain amount. That's There's definitely been more than five and less than five before. Never. They only ever nominate five since the beginning yes. of the Oscars. I, I, mean... I want that on record. Secondly, you just cut Haley Seinfeld. Done. But she's incredible in that movie. Eh. What movie? She's I mean, like I think she's the, the film. I think she's the best performance in that category. To be honest with you, I would what give movie? her a true grit. I would give her the Oscar over Mila Kunis. Absolutely. All right. Who won? Uh, Melissa Leo for the Fighter. I don't know it. Apparently, she's great in it. Um, she might be the one I would cut because. I do think Jackie Weaver, I think, is very good in Animal Kingdom, but I might switch her out with Mila Kunis. The difficult thing is, so Haley Steinfeld is the main character of True Grit. She is the protagonist. She is a lead. And yes, why is she supporting? Because she was 13 and they decided to run her supporting because the Weinstein Company is terrible. <laughs> well, she would have lost to Natalie anyway. She would have lost to Natalie, but the issue is that if you look at the best actress lineup, there is no one you can cut. Annette Benning, no. Nicole, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> this is maybe the best lineup of best actress in a while. I mean, <laughs> Michelle Williams, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicole Kidman, Annette Benning, Natalie, Natalie Portman. Yeah, I would say 
that's yeah. a it's a heavy list. I mean, that's, some heavy that's hitters. A pretty, that's a pretty strong lineup. That's that's nothing but tens. That's a that's some that's some heavyweight boxers coming into the ring right there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like, add a sixth person. Mila Kunis does fantastic work. But you can't do that, Jen. That's against the rules. So change the rules. Rules are made to be changed and broken. I what are we gonna I, stick to these rules that were built in the nineteen like twenties? What are, what are you, George Washington, writing the Constitution? To, Get out of here! They're changing the rules now. Exactly. I, mean, like, I don't necessarily, sir, but like, but then the question becomes like, so you could just add a six when you feel like? I mean, like, there have to be yes. rules for how many there can be. If there's a good actress, there's a good actress. But like, then we have fifty people nominated for best actress. That's crazy. I That's mean, crazy talk. There needs to be a cap. Maybe five is too low. Maybe that's maybe that's the the argument, Chandler. Maybe we don't do unlimited. But well, then maybe take, we, then we take raise out, it to like seven. Then take out no. Helena Bottom Carter for the. I King's think speech. she she's my number two <gasps> in that category. You? I think she's amazing you? in that movie. I, I, I don't think she's I have look. not. I have not seen the King's Speech, and I probably never will because it looks boring. She's the best part of that. She's movie. absolutely well, the boring. best part of that movie. It looks boring. <laughs> It, it's about a king that gives a speech, and I don't care. Um, I meant to bring this up in last week's episode, our sort of like 2020 interview slash future of the Oscars. There's rumors going around, or not rumors, but I don't know. There's a, a strong call to action for the Academy to either get rid of the gendered categories. Oh. Or to make all of the categories gendered. Like, that's what I've read is like, people are like, well, there's no best female director nomination. Like, how come it's best female actor? How come it can't just be like actors or I don't know. So like, do we have thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, So So this was kicked off because Asia Kate Dillon, who is a non-binary actor, um, who's on the show Billions. um, Yes. Uh, wrote an open letter um, to the Emmys, I believe, because they made them submit to either the actor or the actress category. Um, And they wrote in favor of abolishing gender categories, Um, which principally I agree with. I think there are a couple of problems. One is that I think the Academy is sexist as fuck, as we see by the fact that so few women have been nominated for director. um, I think is a really good example. So I think there's a very real possibility that if we just made it 10 there are 10 nominees for best performer that a good portion of those could end up just be going to men and we shut women out mm. um there is i would be more in favor of creating a, a best actor best actress and best performer um outside of the gender binary or something like that i think would make more sense um i think the argument against that might be that we don't have enough non-binary performers at the current moment um but i think as the gender constructs get more and more fucked with and more and more and more blurred i think it's going to (laughs) become hopefully at some point in the near future a problem because hopefully lord willing the crick don't rise that we will have a very successful oscar movie with a non-binary lead and the question becomes where do we nominate them well i mean could you just do two could you just do two acting categories that are genderless how would that work best actor in a comedy best actor in a drama or something or 
so so people that's the other argument so, yeah. yeah people i like that more but then it's still the problem of the then is, well, it's, then is you it just, just force... gonna be five men you know well but then you just force the because the academy just had that rule about uh you like each movie has to have a certain number of uh people of color right why don't you just every category has to have a certain number like you have to nominate a certain number of like x y and z Maybe, or, I don't know. Or XX and XY, but I'm, I'm chromosomes. Um, yeah, I guess I sometimes become, I sometimes worry about solving what I think are cultural problems with rules, if that makes sense. Where, like, I, mm. I think that there are, like, severe bigotry, for lack of a better word, at the Oscars that represents the severe bigotry of the film industry, which, you know, Lord knows we could talk about how the film industry is fucked up for hours on end hours and so and i but i but i worry that having rules like this similar like because like i think like if you actually dig into the nitty-gritty of what the oscar rules about diversity that they just put out are they essentially do nothing (laughs) and so i worry that if we had a a rule that was like there must be blah 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 blah, blah, then it just will end up being actor and actress again just you know but the great white liberals of the Academy could pat themselves on the back for being so inclusive of non-binary actors without ever actually nominating them for anything. Right. All right. So I don't well, know. Essentially T- TLDR, there is no good answer because Hollywood's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> mm, well, yeah. But I mean, there are a like a growing number of non-binary artists and you can't just like, just because there isn't a, a majority of them right now, you can't just erase them. You know? No, totally. What what Asia did was they submitted as actor because they argued that historically the word actor has been um, gender neutral. Yeah. Technically, it is right. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, so that's smart, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point, I can't name more than like four or five out non-binary actors who are like getting work, um, which is a problem. Which is a larger problem, yeah. Which is a larger problem. Yeah. But like, I guess I don't think it's necessarily a crisis now. It's going to become a crisis, hopefully very soon. And I have no faith that the Academy will be able to solve it. So that will be a fun thing that we'll discuss on this podcast when it happens. It'll and be that's the end when of the we podcast. come in. <laughs> the Oscars gets abolished. The Oscars gets abolished. It's the end of the podcast. Well, I mean, like, here, here's the, like, dark story of, like, the actual... We did say the end, we die, so... I mean, because the problem is, like, the Oscars only exist to bust unions. That's the only reason the Oscars were founded. And so, like, the Oscars kind of from, Wait, the, what? from the... Yeah, so the Oscars were created because in the... Whenever they got started, there was a strike. This isn't real. Is this real? This is absolutely real. And so in order to bust the strike, they created an award show so that they could give people things without having to give them more money. And what? And so what? The Oscars is, is that real? Is that like legitimately historically accurate? That is what I've heard. I if someone wants to correct me, they can correct me. That is what I've heard from Oscar historians. That's insane. Okay, well then we got to cancel this whole podcast and and like boycott the Oscars. They but only like, did the, the oh these rich white the people Oscars? of Hollywood. You tell me They're the rich white fun. people of Hollywood were like, mm, these actors want to be treated like people." Psh. Let's give them at least a couple golden trophies made of plastic, make them feel better. What? I'm boycotting the Oscars. Are you see, they're no, just busting I think, unions. But I think Chandler, that's what's fun about the Oscars. And what's fun about the Oscars is that they don't reward the best movies; they award the most Oscar-y movies. And so it's like playing. It's like sports, right? Where you're like, it's not necessarily that like the best team on paper is going to win. It's that whatever fucking like 
Maybe the wind is blowing. Maybe, you know, so-and-so's girlfriend just broke up with him, so he throws eight interceptions. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just a symbol for union busting? I, I mean, don't know how I feel about this. I don't think any anymore. Not, not anymore, though they did have the ceremony in the midst of a strike a couple of years ago. But... I mean, the Oscars are bad. The Oscars okay. are, are so that a bunch of rich people in Hollywood can pat themselves on the back for doing good work and s- giving all of us poor people some entertainment in our lives. Like, it's not politically it's strong just, kind of across the board. It's just Hollywood elitism. <laughs> yeah. It's the Hollywood elites. True. I mean, yes, it is. It is a bunch of elites in tuxedos, drinking champagne, getting gold statues for pretending to be other people on screen. While Flint, Michigan has no water. Yeah, like, I don't don't know what you, like, yeah, man, I agree. Back to Black Swan. (laughs) Back to Black Swan. (laughs) um, It's a a very obvious and uh, simple thing. I mean, it's what the movie is literally about. But I love, it was just something that I noticed more this time around since I haven't watched it in eight years, the, how heavily the the film is in conversation with the actual ballet. Mm-hmm. And, ha- you know, how, how she is the white swan is becoming the black swan and then that, like, kills, you know, literally kills herself at the end. I love that. You love that transition? You love that immediate transition away from the Oscars? Teach, they don't teach that in school, kids. Call that a um, transition. Jesus Christ. Um, speaking of transitions, I think we should discuss um one of the most the editing and how it should have won. Um, we'll get about that. I don't know directing. if I agree it should have won. Um, the directing. But I was going to talk about Winona Ryder quickly. Oh, oh, legend. Who I did not recognize. Because I think literally what's... had to pause the film and look up who that actor was. I was like, "What do I know her from?" I was like, "Oh fuck, it's Winona Ryder." So I'm gonna get on my Winona Ryder. We did we did Winona Ryder dirty train just for a couple seconds. Uh, so Winona Ryder was the biggest star in America, uh, and then you know she had she had a couple of bombs. You know she was getting a little bit older. She couldn't do the like you know weird teen thing anymore. Uh, and then, you know, she started having, as many of us do, and in fact, all of us on this podcast have experienced, some mental health problems. And she was prescribed some bad medication that made her mental health problems worse. And so she shoplifted a couple hundred dollars worth of things. And Hollywood was so shocked and outraged that this actress would shoplift and would do something so morally bankrupt, they did not let her work for almost a decade. Essentially, this is her first major project since the early 2000s. By comparison, Mel Gibson was nominated for Best Director three years ago. And that man said some really, really crazy shit. As he tried to kill his wife. As far as we know, as far as we know, doesn't have mental health problems. I I mean, he does. He's an alcoholic. I mean, he does. He does. But like, but there's a certain when, difference. What we did Winona Ryder so fucking dirty, and this movie is kind of her reapproach to stardom. And then she, of course, has Stranger Things and Show Me a Hero, and is sort of back in the in the saddle a little bit. And she's one of my favorite actresses. And it's just so because interesting. She shoplifted a little bit. Yeah, and everyone so they blacklisted her. 
But then, and then this is my thing, is anytime we have an abusive man and we say, maybe they shouldn't have a fucking show on television anymore because they use their show on television to rape their staff. Everyone's like, what? You want to stop him from having a career because of a couple of mistakes? I was like, Renata Ryder didn't work for 10 years. Hmm, shoplifting. For a little rape. shoplifting. like Rape. What? So much higher than shoplifting. Well, so that's, I mean, I mean, that's really, that's very telling for the American capitalist system. You can't steal the richest property, but pff, women, pff, who fucking cares? Like, but so to make it, to bring it back, to bring it back, back to this movie, it's lovely to see Winona. And it's also fascinating because Winona Ryder and I think, I think Winona Ryder and Natalie Portman have a very sort of similar early career where they both start off as sort of child stars who are, you know, very aesthetic forward with, um, uh, what's an, uh, with Winona Ryder being in Beetlejuice and, and Edward Scissorhands and things like that and then uh, Natalie Portman being in Leon the Professional um, and then they sort and of Star go and, right, and then Star Wars and, and all these other things they become kind of like very very big stars and then you know have a bit of trouble adjusting from being a, a teenage star to being a adult star and I think Natalie Portman did it better for a whole variety of reasons um, but it's really interesting to have them in the same scene together in conversation with each other because very much, I think, they are cut from the same cloth and play similar-ish roles. And unfortunately, for a whole variety of reasons, that was stolen from Winona. Um, mm. And that anger feels really real and that re- guilt that Natalie feels feels really real. And I think the casting mm-hmm. of those two together, and then also the casting of Mila Kunis, who's this, you know, up and coming star who is nowhere near as famous as Natalie Portman, but really wants to be, makes it, you know, <laughs> an interesting sort of meta text. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But again, like, almost blurs the lines, just how the film does of like, what's real and what's, mm-hmm. what's pretend. Yeah. Is this movie a horror film? Okay, so this is... It's a psychological thriller, I would call it. So this is controversial. So a lot of Oscar people say that the last Oscar... The last film to be nominated... The last horror film to be nominated for Best Picture was Silence of the Lambs. I would argue that if we say Silence of the Lambs is a horror film, we have to say Black Swan is a horror film. Yeah. I kind of agree. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people disagree with me, and I've gotten very strong arguments about this, but I think that if we are going to define Silence of the Lambs as a horror film, we have to define Black Swan as a horror film. Yeah. Because if anything, there's more gore in this. Correct. There's body body horror. What's the argument, then? Yeah, like, how do you argue that this isn't horror Because Because there isn't, like, a Anthony Hopkins character? They argue it's a thriller. Which I think this is more of a. I think if this is a thriller, then Sounds of the Lambs is a is a drama. <laughs> you know? Yeah, hundred like, <laughs> percent. I mean, I would. Yeah, they're absolutely both thrillers. But this is, I would argue, has a lot more elements of horror than than Sounds of the Lambs does. I would agree. I, yeah, just because just because the the horror villain happens to be herself doesn't make it any less horror. Correct. Because like no, it makes it more, more horror. Horror. It's like I would say this is just as much of a horror film as Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, exactly like Rosemary's Baby, I, I would argue. Yeah. I mean, because it's this is a scary film. It's it it, yeah. it it is frightening to watch. I covered my eyes multiple times. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's disturbing. It's 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 on the edge of your seat. It is very frightening. 
there's there are scares, there's literally there's... jump scares. Yeah, there are literal yeah. jump scares. Like more so than Silence of the Lambs, more, so, more than... so than The Exorcist. Silence of the Lamb has like one, two jump scares. This has like at least four. Yeah. Like every time she sees her her face, you know, as Mila Kunis. Or herself. I mean, also, if we're going to say Get Out is a horror film, then this is a horror film. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah. Why aren't people, why won't people say that the last, was Get Out not nominated? No, Get Out wasn't nominated Get, for Best Get Picture. Get Out was nominated for Best Picture. I believe it was I have nominated. The, so then. I, I, believe, I believe people would say that, but like before, I, before these fights that, were right. happening before that. Right. Well, Black Swan came up before Get Out too, so. Yeah. Seven years. You, um, I, like you forget how long ago 2010 is. It was 11 years ago. That's insane. I I mean like, that was, I mean this is, is one of the great This is one of, I think this is one of the best horror films of, like about mental illness. About like I I think that cuz and, and in a way where like it's not the mental illness isn't like someone else's mentally ill trying to attack you that the mental illness is yourself and that the horror of of being mentally ill. And that's kind of really, I mean, we don't really, I've never mm-hmm. seen that before. That's not something you, like, a horror film that's really done. Where where, that, where you, you where the person themselves are the villain. Mm-hmm. On that note, I do want to, going off that channel, I want to recommend my favorite subgenre, which is uh, horror films uh, where mental illness is expressed through dance. Um, and so there's Black Swan, there's Climax, there's Madeline's Madeline. There are a bunch of like indie and foreign films that are just like, you know, these people are fucked up because of how hard they're dancing. It is Yikes. maybe my favorite genre. <laughs> and you need to watch Tiny Pretty Things. I do need to watch Tiny Pretty Things. It's, What's Tiny Pretty Things? It's not, it's the Netflix series about dancers. Having and sex. <laughs> and lots of sex. There are problems. Is that the one with the little but- children? No, that's cuties. Okay. No, 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 yeah, no, no, no. This is this, and this is scripted. Cuties, oh. I believe, is reality. No, cuties is is, um, is scripted as well. It is. Oh. I thought it was reality for some reason. Um, but anyway, no, Tiny Pretty Things is like budget Black Swan and <laughs> okay. in series form. Me too. And there's multiple dancers, and there's murder and lots of sex. But awesome. It's crazy. It will be my um, favorite show of 2021. <laughs> And, and I think that, like, going back to, again, like, what we were talking about at the very beginning of this podcast, while Tiny Pretty Things has a lot of flaws, I think that is the direction that I want to see sort of, like, dance films with, like, real, true, grounded acting go. I'm not claiming that the actors in Tiny Pretty Things are Emmy-worthy or Oscar-worthy yet, but they're young, so I think the hope is, you know, they get some more things under their belts, and they're also all professionally trained dancers who are very talented. So they, you know, in, like, five, ten years, once they're a little older and they can handle, like, more, like, dramatic roles such as um, Natalie Portman's character they will be able to do both. They will be able to dance it as well as act it. And I think when you get that, you know, everything just comes together in such a beautiful way. So that's that's my hope for those those amazing, talented beings on that show. Um, do we want to move on to Shared of One? We're like 45 minutes in. Yes. Yeah. Please. 
And the Oscar goes to... Um, so this was nominated for a bunch, um, correctly. And I do want to... I made this one uh, category that was nominated and that I do want to stop at uh, because I think it's interesting because of how much the year 2010 that the Oscars kind of defines um, film for the next 10 years where a lot of these names, even in like minor categories, we see um, a lot. And so the first thing was nominated for was Best Film Editing. The nominees are The King's Speech, The Fighter, Black Swan, 127 Hours, and then The Social Network, which wins. I kind of, I might give this to the social network. I kind of agree. <laughs> I give this to Black Swan. I, I don't, so I haven't seen social network in a little bit. Um, I remember it being fine drama about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, but I think the editing of Black Swan, I mean, it's, it's a brilliantly edited horror film that keeps you constantly on the edge. And I think the editing of that is incredibly important to the, to the, to the, the way that you feel during this film to the point where would, like social network is like, yeah, I mean, sure. It's, it's, it's a movie about Facebook, like. But the way this is Social like the Network way is able just... to build tension, Correct. though, with that that editing. The way that this is, is... able to build tension. The way that Black but Swan Social is able Network to build tension. But Social Network does it slightly better. And I would also I argue disagree. that the, I think the... Black Swan is just a better film. I I agree with that, but I also well, think then, that the Black. But then, if if we're talking about the way that tension is built, I think that the tension built for a horror movie about mental illness is better than the tension built for a Facebook movie. Like I just like it just isn't. To me, that doesn't equate. But see, I think, but, but Chandler, I think that's exactly the point of why the editing is so good, is that Black Swan is able to build tension because of what's happening. In the social network, they have to build tension despite the fact that it's some dudes in suits in a room. And it's able to, through editing and also the screenplay and the direction, really build some, like, and keep you on the edge of your seat to have all this tension despite the fact that A, nothing is happening, and B, what is happening, you don't fucking care about. You don't care if Mark Zuckerberg wins the rights to say he invented Facebook or the Winklevoss twins did. You don't give a shit. But, like, the editing and the screenplay and the direction are able to make you care about this thing you don't care about, which is, I think, why you have to give it to the editing, even though Black Swan has incredible editing, but I think there is more going on to support that tension versus the social network has to more manufacture it out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, sure. I disagree. I think the editing of Black Swan is better, but yeah. Cool. This is nominated for a Best Cinematography. The nominees are True Grit, so The Social Network, The King's Speech, Black Swan, and Inception, which wins. Uh, Inception should have won. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. <laughs> Although the cinematography in this incredible. is beautiful, one hundred percent. But again, this is like one of the issues of being in like an all star year. But like Black Swan, any other year, I'd be like, you have to give this the cinematography. cinematography. But like Inception, they like built a fucking thing and like spun it upside down, and you're like, what? The, I didn't realize that this was Inception year. Oh fuck! That what movie, a year! What a year for movies. The movie is so good. So good. Was it not? Was it not nominated for screenplay. Uh, it was nominated for best. It should have been. It was not. <laughs> um, but it should have been. I agree. It should have been. Um, and kick out the king's speech, which wins, and then you have a, a pretty strong category. Um, so the nominees for best actress are Michelle Williams, Blue Valentine, Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone, Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole, Annette Benning for The Kids Are All Right, Natalie Portman for Black Swan, which wins. This is. An all-star category. Pause for a second. Rabbit Hole is in the play? Yeah. I didn't know that was a movie. It's maybe Nicole Kidman's best performance. It's really good. Interesting. Great play. Yeah. Yeah, the screenplay of Black Swan should have been nominated. What are we doing? 
But yes, sorry, actress. Um, yeah, I give it a Natalie Portman. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, but without question, solid, solid category. No, I mean, like a powerhouse of of actor. Like we said before, I mean, truly a powerhouse of of nominees. But I, you know, in this, I, I Natalie Portman's performance is is just perfect. Um, before we move Defined on, find Ezra's entire life afterwards. So I think uh, before we move we on to best director, I want just want to jump back and just read you the nominees for best foreign language film. Um, because of the five nominees for foreign language film, four of them are now some of the most important filmmakers in English, which I think is really interesting. Which are the nominees are Outside the Law um, from Algeria, um, which is directed by a man named uh, Rashab Berhib, who I've never heard of. But then after that, we have Incendiaries from Canada, which is directed by uh, Dene Villeneuve, who directed Blade Runner uh, 19, uh, 2048. And the new really? movie and Prisoners and wow. Enemy and a bunch of like really good films. Then you have Dog Tooth from Greece, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who does the favorite. Then you does have, he really? Then you have Bitiful from Mexico, directed by Alejandro Mignon Gonzalez and Yuritu, who goes on to do Birdman and oh. Oh, um, Revenant. And Revenant. And then the winner is Suzanne Beer for In a Better World from Denmark, who does um, Bird Box, and now does a lot of like TV miniseries, and just directed the Nicole Kidman miniseries. Wow. So it's a really interesting thing is that like to look at the best foreign film and be like, oh, so four of these directors are now like superstars in America. Turn of the decade, the Oscars are here, important. Yeah. Anyway, uh, best director the nominees are Joel and Ethan Cohen for True Grit, David Fincher for The Social Network, David O. Russell for The Fighter. Darren Aronofsky for Black Swan and Tom Hooper for The King's Speech. Literally, if you Why? had given this to wins, any, right? oh, David Tom uh, Tom Hooper wins. If you had given this to literally anybody else, there would be like all of, of these other four should have an Oscar for the for their movies here. Yeah, I'd I want say to know just because what it's the one of The King's Speech jacked off or paid off. Who at the Academy to get the King's Speech all of uh, these fucking nominations and the, wins? Because it's not that good of a, a film. Do you want the answer? Yes. Harvey Weinstein. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, does he, my life. Was he, did he produce uh, King's Speech? The King's Speech. Ugh, gross. Yeah, that tracks. Gross. Well, that's Take the thing, away. though. That's, that's, see, that's why the, the, our entire podcast is bullshit. Because, like, the entire Oscars is just a, a fucking, like, uh, a, a polling race of, of to see like who can who can serve the best drinks and and spend the most money on these voters. That's all just a ruse. The Did key- you not know what we were signing up for when we started? I know this podcast? it's just upsetting okay. because Black Swan's really has good. Got twelve nominations for what? That's that movie's supposed to be so boring, right? In that movie? We gotta that do the King's speech. Be... We have to. Let's do it. I haven't seen it since it came out. I saw it's, it in theaters and I, and I thought it was fine. <laughs> it's supposed to be boring, isn't it? It's very boring. It's slow. I mean, it's, it's you so know, slow. there's you know, it's it's like a solid seven out of ten. You're like, I'm not mad at this movie. It shouldn't have seven won Best Picture. I would give it like a four. Yeah, that's it. Seems pretty I mean, high. What are, I think what, it's above. What do you average. give Black Swan? Ten out of ten. Okay, so what about um? Well, the Shayla's issue. Gauge the well, scale. the issue is that like five of five of the ten network? movies nominated for best picture are tens out of tens. I think. 
Really? Yeah. You think they're all tens out of tens? I think I think there are ten movies nominated. I would argue. You think Inception is ten out of ten? One hundred percent. Yeah. You don't. <gasps> I, it's a great. I go back and rewatch it. Uh, I have. It feels very. It feels. A, it is not as timeless as I think it should be. I think it's. 10 it's out of 10. I, I love Inception. Movie. Inception's a good movie. I don't. I wouldn't. I just would not rate it that high. I would give it like an eight or a nine. I think it's a ten out of like, ten. One hundred. I only reserve ten out of tens for like five movies in all of his cinema. I don't want to speak for Ezra, but I would also give Social Network a 10 I out would 10. as well, like, and I would give True Grit a 10 out of 10. I also wouldn't. But I guess my scale is I, I different than yours. True Grit? Well, what, are, who are, think, what are the nominees think, for? But you think those movies are perfect? Kinda, yeah. Compared to, like, American Honey, 20th Century yeah. Women, Lady Bird, like, those movies are yes. perfect just as, like, I, I disagree, but alright. Uh... I Inception, I might put above some of the movies you just listed. I think that movie's fucking what? incredible. Wow. All right. I'm surprised okay. you're like. I figured that would be like right up your alley, Chandler. Like, I love Inception. I figured you I think would be like, I love it. I love Inception. I think it's a great movie. I think it's fantastic. I think the writing sometimes feels a little dramatic, but I, I, I love Inception. I think it's probably it's Nolan's probably best his best work. But I don't know if it's like a perfect film. I don't think it's. I, I would not put it up there with Lord of the Rings. I don't like. It's not I, in my mind. Lord of the Rings is It's up a there great for movie. Me, so. It's a really fun movie. I like it. I'd watch it again. I just. I don't know. I don't. Res- I reserve ten out of tens for movies that I think are just above and beyond cinema. I think Inception might be the best action film of the past twenty five years. Elite of the Battle Angel would disagree with you. I might. I would put Inception above Elite of the Battle Angel. I. That's insane. Inception is my number two of this year. What are the Best Picture noms? Uh, the Best Picture nominees are Winter's Bone, which is, I would say, an 8 out of 10. It's incredible. True Grit, 10 out of 10. Toy Story 3, 8 out of 10. Social Network, 10 out of 10. Kids Are All Right, 8 out of 10. Inception, 10 out of 10. The Fighter, I haven't seen. Black Swan, 10 out of 10. 127 hours, 7, 8 out of 10. King's Speech, 6 out of 10. Which wins. Wait, 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 wait. You put you put Inception over Alita. You loved Alita: The Battle Angel. I know. I don't think you understand how much I love Inception, Chandler. I I mean I didn't know that you loved for Inception like, that much for like five, for like six seven years. I called it my favorite film. Really? It's like top I, ten of all time for he, me. Yeah. You're not. Are you the? Wow. Uh, are you a big Nolan fan? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't. Okay, I did. That was just never okay. I uh, see. I think, huh? I like Memento more than I like Inception. Oh no, absolutely not. I think Memento is like his, not even his top five. Uh, okay, all right, yeah, all right. What about Dun- you've? But you've never seen Dunkirk, right? I have seen Dunkirk. Oh, I've, o- I've only not seen one of his movies, and it's Insomnia. Oh, I've never seen Insomnia either. Okay, I did not know that. All right. But who would we give Best Picture to? Because it's definitely shouldn't be King's Speech. Uh, I would give it to Black Swan. Fuck it. I honestly think I would give it to Social Network. So the Social Network was it was like I the whole don't. season was the Social Network versus the King's Speech, and so given that, I like realistically, I would have voted for the Social Network to keep the King's Speech out. I think there are three. I think there are three movies. 
I would give it to the social networker Inception, not because they're my favorite, but I because I think that the sort of achievement of those movies is so towering in a way that like it feels like a thing you should go back and study in the history books of how to make a movie in a way that like Black Swan's my favorite movie, but I don't know if it's like an important movie for cinema history. You know what I mean? Sure. Chandler, you said you would give this a Black Swan. Yeah. I mean, I would, or, or Inception. I, I would, yeah, I would either give it to Inception or Black Swan. I know, I, I know everyone loves the social network. I, it's just fine. Like, I don't, I just don't care about the story of Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I just, when did you last see it, John? Like six years ago, seven years ago. I would say, I, th- I think, so. I think if you rewatch it, you might like it. Yeah, better. I, we should redo it because Drew wants to sure. come on because that's his favorite movie of all time. Um, I think if you revisit it, Chandler, I think you will see that it's actually much more of a critique of Mark Zuckerberg and sort of modern capitalism than I think it maybe first appears. Maybe. It's kind of, it's kind of about, and I think it's a very prescient movie. I think it's very much about the way that we've sold our privacy and our morals away in search of profit. It's written by Aaron Sorkin, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And directed by David Fincher. And Chandler, again, I don't want to like speak for you, but if I had to guess, you might mi- be misremembering it because you probably hate Mark Zuckerberg now, which we all do. Because he's a billionaire, and billionaires should all be dead. Um, but <laughs> I just no, and I just no, wasn't. But like, I, I think don't... the social network just shows like how you know, like when you're starting something and it's like your baby, like like that's yours, you own it. And so when it when you aren't someone huge, how important that is. And I think that's the story that the social network tells, not like look at this billionaire asshole. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't remember him. I mean, he's not a billionaire asshole during the movie. I just don't remember being blown away by that film. Like, I just, I remember liking it. I remember, like, it, this is, that's a good movie. But I don't remember being awestruck like I was with, you know, some of the others in the category. I think it's one of Andrew Garfield's, like, best performances. 100%, without question. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I would agree with that as well. But that's yeah. kind of a low bar. I mean, <laughs> what, Spider-Man? Like, I <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I just wasn't something that I was particularly blown away with. Um, when I, I just, when I remember seeing it, I was just like, okay, it's a good movie. Yeah. We'll definitely have to do it. I love that movie. I watched it like twice back to back in quarantine. Let's do it. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. All right. Should we move on to what we've been watching this past week? Yeah. Or I guess past couple of weeks since we haven't done it in a while. Chandler, what have you been watching? I've been watching a, like here and there. I've been watching the repair shop because they put the the third season on the on the Netflix a movie a show that I love a lot and makes me feel good. Also watched the I had not watched I had not really sat down and watched any of them, but uh, I was watching with my partner the I think the seventh season of the Great British British Baking Show. Hell yeah! Or if you're from England, the Great British Bake Off. Uh, uh, and I like finally sort of sat down and got into it. Super cute. I hate when they get all mean to the contestants, but I love when they're sweet and kind to them. I just Do you want, watch I any of the think, holiday ones? Uh, no, I just watched the seventh season um, okay. with with my girl Steph and David. Um, <laughs> uh, 
but that's like my thing is like I love I can do like the Brit- British reality shows like that because they're usually very sweet to each other. I just don't like competition shows or reality shows because I hate it when people are mean to each other. I don't I like it just makes me sad. Like I don't that's like don't hard. be mean. I hate that. I hate like when Gordon Ramsay's like screaming at people. I'm just like I don't like this isn't fun. You're just being mean. Like that's not entertaining. Just yelling at someone. And telling them they're terrible. Just pull each other's hair. I'm like, yeah, I hate that. That's so mean. I like, ugh, it just makes me feel so gross. Where like, I love it when they're just like, oh, this was really good bake. You did such a good job. Like, I love the colors. It's so pretty (laughs) and and it tastes delicious. You did a really good job. And they're like, oh, thanks. Like, I don't know. They're just mean when they're. It's like Simon Cow is like, you're a piece of garbage, and you should never (laughs) sing again. It's like, whoa, relax, dude. Jeez, relax. So, yeah, I've been watching that. Claudia, what have you been watching? So I don't know if I ever said it on the podcast, but I it happened a while ago. I did end up finishing um, Schitt's Creek hmm. sort of on accident. I didn't realize <laughs> I finished it because I think, Ezra, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed Schitt's Creek more when it was sort of on the back in the background 100 and then i was like okay this episode's over let me press the next one and it was the last episode i was like oh Uh, oh, it's over so it wasn't as climactic as i wanted to be i don't know maybe i wasn't as invested i definitely wasn't as invested um but then i also recently started the final season of the good place which i also am finding not as climactic as i want it to be i'm only on like episode three or four it's fine. It's it's fine. I want to finish it just to like say I finished it because I have watched all the other seasons. But, you know, not blowing me away or anything. This Is Us came back yesterday, so I'm excited to watch the most recent episode to after right after we were finished recording. So, yeah. Ezra? Ezra? Um, so I've been watching a, a lot of bullshit. Um, I was home <laughs> uh, for the holidays, and so my brother and I watched a lot of... Um, older action films um like we watched die hard for the first time i watched point break for the first time which rules um how'd you like die hard i liked it a lot yeah it's good right yeah um i haven't watched watch the sequels but yeah i thought it was a really good you know action film really good stunts i got really into stunts i was like oh it's the craziest stunt but then now as i mentioned on our new year's episode i've gotten very into french cinema and so I've been watching uh, a lot of that. I watched a really great film by Michael Haneke called Cash um, that is about uh, this couple and someone starts sending them a f- uh, film of the front of their house every day, um, which is really good. And then I watched... Um, Ooh, it's terrifying. Th- yeah, it's, very, it's a very good movie, very scary. Um, I watched a great movie called uh, Three Colors Red, which is the first part of the Three Colors trilogy that's about Julia Binoche having grief. Uh, so yeah. You know, follow me on Letterboxd for all of my exciting uh, endeavors. Uh, next week is The Hours, um, based on the novel. So that should be really fun. And then... With um, the Olivia Wood. Absolutely. And then what's the week after that, Claudia? Bring on our second guest. Dr. Wood. Oh, fun please. fact about Olivia Wood is that one of our first, our first time ever hanging out was when we went to see one of the movies nominated for Best Picture in 2010. Which was True Grit. Huh. We saw was it from it our birthday. Um, very cool. Yeah. After the hours, we will be covering all about Eve. Yes. And then for the final week of January, we'll be rounding up the <laughs> 1975 <laughs> Best Picture. 
best picture nomination with Barry Lyndon. <laughs> We're gonna do them all. Is that is that our last one? No, we still have Nashville, I think. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and give us a rating and review. We would appreciate it very much. Follow us on Instagram at htbn.podcast to keep up with us and some stuff that we're watching and some other fun trivia posts. That's all we got for you today, friends. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.